Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. We're getting to that point of the year. It's week six. A lot of teams are going to be halfway through their season after this week. And so it's time to start checking on the coaching carousel. Now, we already know there's a couple openings, Northwestern and Michigan State. These were not planned, not expected. Maybe Michigan State was because they they found a way to fire Mel Tucker for free. I'm a cynical person. I'm of the belief that if... They went 11-1 last season. They probably aren't trying to fire him. But there's a lot of other situations throughout college football where we see you on the message boards. Like, we know you've moved on from, hey, we're going to give this guy a little more time to fire everyone. And I understand that sentiment. I realize it's a very emotional sport. And sometimes you feel like your team is not being led the right way. What I'm here to do today, though, is to give you an idea of how realistic your hopes are of a change, or if you want to give the person some time, how good of a chance there is that you will get that time and that person will have a chance to turn it around. So we're going to look at a few different programs. It's the hot seat status check, and we'll see how you feel. There's a couple in here that I know there's a lot of people that that are clamoring for change. I don't think you're going to get it in some of these cases. There's some other ones where just because of the way somebody's contract's written, they should be worried. So let's start with the fan base that seems to be grumbling the loudest, and that's the one that's closest to me. It's not the loudest because I'm in the closest proximity. If I was across the country, I'd hear you guys too. Uh, the Florida Gators fan base, not happy right now with Billy Napier. He's 9-9 nine and nine in one-plus seasons, basically one-and-a-half seasons at the helm of the Florida Gators. And it just does not seem to be going the way that it was promised. Now, Billy Napier will tell you, I'm going to recruit my way out of this. Look at the recruiting class I have committed for the class of 2024. DJ Lagway is coming. And I think there's something to that. I think the talent deficit that they inherited was real. I think they probably made a mistake not completely flipping the roster immediately and waiting a year to do that. And it may take another recruiting class or two to get where they want. The question is, will the fan base be patient enough? Because it's not a traditionally patient fan base. It hasn't been. Uh, They turned on Ron Zook quick, turned on Will Muschamp quick, turned on Jim McElwain quick, turned on Dan Mullen quick. That's just how it goes. So what happens with Billy Napier? Right now, probably nothing. So Billy Napier's contract is sort of the opposite of Dan Mullen's contract. Dan Mullen got fired at Florida when he did in part because his contract incentivized firing him sooner. It's one of the weirder ones I've seen. You don't see it very often. Basically, Dan Mullen had a $12 million flat rate buyout that if they fired him in 2021, 12 million bucks, 2022, 12 million bucks, 2023, 12 million bucks. 
it didn't change until there was less than 12 million bucks remaining on the contract, basically. And so when things started to go downhill in 2021 and they looked at how the recruiting had gone and they looked at what their roster looked like versus George's roster, all of a sudden they're like, oh, we have to do this now. So Billy Napier's contract is very different. Billy Napier's contract has him paid 85% of the remaining amount if he's fired without cause. Now, again, all bets are off with any of these people we're talking about if the school finds some way to fire them for free. So if, it, if there's a Mel Tucker situation, different situation. Right now we're talking about just results on the field and if they decide to make a change. So for Billy Napier, 85% of the amount remaining on his contract, no offset, no mitigation, which means he gets it all no matter what his next job is. That's $32 million after this season. Now, and here's the key, the key component of that, because with all of these, the amount matters quite a bit. What also matters is how you pay it, because sometimes what looks like a big amount, if it can be spread over enough years, is something that an administration might be willing to deal with. But here's where Jimmy Sexton, who was the agent for Dan Mullen, dealing with Florida, and who also was the agent dealing for Billy Napier, here's where Jimmy Sexton made his money this time around. If they decided to do this, 50% of the buyout would be due within 30 days of the termination. So that is $16 million cash that must be on hand if you decide you want to make a change. That alone leads me to believe that there is no chance Florida would fire Billy Napier without cause this year. No shot. He would get another year. They will have to be patient with him. This is not a school that has been fiscally impulsive in the past. It's just not their history. It's just not the way they operate typically. And remember, if you do make a change, you've also got to buy out coordinators. You've also got to buy the next coach out of their contract. So you're talking about an initial outlay of 25 to $30 million. You got to have that cash on hand to do that. And then you would still owe Billy Napier another 16 million over a four-year period. So given that, I don't think anything happens to Billy Napier. Now, do I think something will happen in terms of Florida's coaching staff between 2023 and 2024? Yes, I do. There's a lot of pressure on Billy Napier to give up play calling. He couldn't do it right now. If you look at that staff, there's not enough experience play calling for him to hand over the reins to anybody else who's currently on that staff. But in the offseason, could he go get an experienced play caller? Yes. Who would that be? That really depends on how willing Billy Napier is to be flexible schematically, philosophically. So if he wants it to look the way he likes it, it's a pretty narrow pool. If he's willing to open it up, it's a broader pool. The other thing that he's under a lot of pressure to do is have an on-field special teams coordinator because right now that job is done by an analyst. And I think I know why. I think when that, when that was hired, the thought was that the NCAA was going to change the rules and basically allow unlimited on-field coaches. However many you want to pay, you can have because they were worried about a lawsuit basically from the coaches, an antitrust suit, which the NCAA has not done well in antitrust suits of late. So the thought was that rule was going to change. It, it never changed. There were a couple periods where it looked like it was about to change. It didn't. So that's why 
you got an analyst running special teams, and that probably isn't the way you want to do it. You probably want to have an on-field assistant who's one of your 10 who handles special teams. So if Florida makes changes, that's probably the type of changes you're going to see. Staff overhaul more than a big change at the top. Let's move on to another SEC school where this is the exact opposite of the Dan Mullen situation. And this guy, has he been given a fair chance yet? Absolutely not. He just started. It's Zach Arnett at Mississippi State. Sitting there at two and three. They should beat Western Michigan this week. Then they've got a stretch of at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky, and at Texas A&M. If they go over that stretch, they're going to be able, some pretty loud calls to make a change in Starkville. And remember, Zach Selman, the current athletic director, was not involved in elevating Zach Arnett. Remember, there's a terrible situation because Mike Leach passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, and they promoted Zach Arnett, which felt like a good move at the time, helped establish some continuity, kept the players engaged, kept them from just pouring into the transfer portal. And he went out and hired Kevin Barbet, different offense than Mike Leach ran. Anytime you, you were changing away from the air raid to something else was going to be a difficult adjustment period. But here's where Zach Arnett needs to worry because he's got a new administration that did not hire him and he's got a contract that works against him. Remember what we said about Dan Mullen's contract working against him at Florida. Same thing in this situation. So Zach Arnett didn't have a ton of leverage when he got the job. This is understandable. So he gets a four-year, because in the state of Mississippi, you're only allowed to do a four-year contract with a state institution. So four-year contract, $12 million, $3 million a year. The buyout is 50% of what's left on the contract. So if you were to fire him with three years remaining on the contract, that's $1.5 million a year over three years, $4.5 million. But unlike the one we were talking about with Billy Napier, there is offset and a duty to mitigate. So basically, your next job, they would subtract your new salary from the buyout amount. Well, Zach Arnett is an accomplished SEC defensive coordinator. If he were to get fired at Mississippi State, he could turn around and get an SEC DC job or perhaps a Big Ten or ACC DC job that would pay him about what he made as the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State before he became the head coach. He was making like $1.3 million. Well, they only owe him 1.5 per year. So if he gets one of those jobs, and especially if he gets a big one, let's say LSU were to, to change defensive coordinators and try to hire Zach Arnett if he gets fired, they're probably going to pay him more than 1.5. So then Mississippi State would essentially be firing him for free. That's where he's got to worry because that contract is working against Zach Arnett. That's a, that's a tough situation to be in, and he definitely hasn't gotten enough time. But... It's a cutthroat business, and the problem is they're not going to give him enough time if they feel like this is not going the direction we want it to go, and we can get out of this without really paying much. And we talked about what the initial outlay would be if Florida decided to do something with Billy Napier, and it is pretty prohibitive. It's a lot of money. With Zach Arnett, it's not prohibitive at all, and that works against it. Let's go another direction. Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, easily the best coach in school history. Changed the whole way we think about Oklahoma State as a football program. He's been doing this so long and has done it so well that I think there's a lot of people out there who love college football 
who don't realize that before Mike Gundy was Oklahoma State's head coach, they were not a team that went to a bowl game every year. Like going to a bowl game was a big deal at Oklahoma State before Mike Gundy was the head coach. It became something that you expect. And then everybody expected more and he's delivered more. He's, he's won the Big 12. He's played in New Year's Six Bowls. But the problem is he's not adapting very well to the new world of college football, to the world of transfer portal and NIL, and it's showing up on the field. They just got creamed by South Alabama. They lost to Iowa State. You look down the schedule, it's hard to find the wins going forward. They're about to play Kansas and Kansas State again, uh, K-State first, then Kansas. Those are two teams that whipped them last year. So what happens if you're Oklahoma State? Well, this is a case where Mike Gundy did such a good job that he got such a good contract for him that there is really nothing anyone can do. Mike Gundy can be Oklahoma State's coach for as long as he wants unless somebody wants to write a really big check. So he has to decide, do I want to adapt or do I want to be done with this or do I want to keep doing this no matter what because I've got this contract? So here's the deal with him. His contract is a five-year deal that rolls over perpetually. Every year, it just adds another year, and it adds a $125,000 raise to it. So he is due 75% of the remainder of his deal if he gets fired without cause. That number after this year is about $25 million. That number after next year, $25.1 million. After 2025, $25.2 million. You see where we're going with this. It goes up every single year, and it is a massive amount for a program that doesn't have a ton of cash lying around. And that, uh, remember, nobody's even paid a buyout that big yet. Gus Malzahn, when he got fired at Auburn at $21 million, is the biggest one we've seen. We're going to see bigger ones here in the future. But for Gundy, unless Oklahoma State finds another Boone Pickens-type donor who can write that check, he can do it as long as he wants. So it's really up to him at this point. But that is that is a king's contract. Basically, he, is, he sits on his throne and he will decide whether he will go or whether he will stay. And if you look at the history of it, he's earned that. But if you're an Oklahoma State fan right now, you're frustrated because you feel like you could be better and you're not. We'll see what he does. We'll see what he decides. He clearly loves the school. So perhaps if he feels like it's not something he wants to do anymore or it's not adaptation he wants to make, then maybe he'll just decide he's done or maybe he'll decide he wants to adapt. There, there are different ways this can go, but he's the one who will dictate the terms unless, again, some real sugar daddy comes along. One more, and this is one I kind of enjoy when coaches do this. I think it's I think it's fun because I don't like to see anybody get fired. I don't. I, we talk about it; it becomes a sport to us. Who gets hired? Who gets fired? But the problem is when you fire a college football coach, it's not the head coach that's the issue because they're usually well taken care of. The coordinators are well taken care. Of, position coaches usually are taken care of. It's the other folks in the football office, and there's a lot of them, and they make normal salaries but they have to go find new jobs. They have to go move their families. And it's a tough situation. So when a coach can play his way off the hot seat, it's nice. 
Neil Brown from West Virginia hasn't completely done that yet, but he is on the way. So Neil Brown's buyout kept him safe last year. Last year would have been 20 million bucks to buy out Neil Brown at the end of the year in West Virginia. They were changing athletic directors. They didn't necessarily have that. So they said, let's let it ride another year. But it was made pretty clear if Neil Brown didn't have dramatic improvement, he was not going to stay as West Virginia's coach. So he decided, I'm going to make my stand. I call plays. I'm going back to calling plays. He, Graham Harrell did it last year. This year, it's Neil Brown. They're 4-1. and one. Their only loss is to Penn State which is currently undefeated. Their next few games at Houston, Oklahoma State, at UCF, BYU, all of those are winnable. They might be favored in all of them. West Virginia could be 7-2 and two or 8-1 and one going into the Oklahoma game on November 11th. That seems like the improvement they were looking for. Neil Brown is still due a $13 million buyout if he were to be fired after this year. But if he, let's say he wins these next four games and he's eight and one going into the Oklahoma game, I'm sorry. I think you keep him. I think you say, you know what? You've, you found a formula that works. Let's go. Let's just stick with this and see how it works. I, I think you do that. And that'd be great. I, I, listen, I know coaches get frustrated because we harp on all this hot seat stuff. And I don't blame them. But I also enjoy it when a coach tells us where we can stick our hot seat. And I think Neil Brown is doing that right now. Got a few more of these in a column that I wrote on On3. If you want to read more about coaching situations, buyouts, what might happen. Uh, I, go, I go over Tom Allen in Indiana. Go over Brent Pry at Virginia Tech. Go over Dana Holgerson at Houston as well. But there are going to be some very interesting situations as we go down the stretch here. And a lot of it will have to do with how these contracts are written. Because, again, it's not always the amount. Sometimes it's, do you have mitigation? Sometimes it's how much is due right now. Remember, Kevin Sumlin got to stay at AM a lot longer because he had a brilliant clause in his contract that said, the entire buyout is due within 60 days. So good agents, they make their money with stuff like that. But you got to look into the little fine details of the contracts to make sure you understand, is this coach someone who can be fired right now? Or is this someone who should get, be given more time? Or someone who is going to get more time no matter what because their agent was really good and they made sure they're going to get more time. That's definitely Billy Napier at Florida right now. Zach Arnett, Mississippi State, different situation. Mike Gundy, well, just sitting on that throne. But it will be a, a very interesting stretch run for a lot of these guys. Keep paying attention. We're going to keep watching you guys on the message boards. We, Like I said, we know when you flip that switch. And it, it can be frustrating, but you will understand it better if you just read those fine details of the contract. And you know exactly where your guy stands and why he's safe or why he's not. When we come back, the guy who's definitely safe, he just got the Louisville job, and he's got the Cardinals 5-0 and with Notre Dame coming to town. Jeff Brom, head coach, getting ready to play the Fighting Irish. We welcome Jeff Brom, head coach of the Louisville Cardinals. They got Notre Dame coming into the house 
fresh off a win at NC State. Uh, Jeff, I'm curious. You guys have had two comeback wins this season. You talked in your press conference about how calm everybody was in the locker room down 10 at NC State. How do you do that with a new roster, new team? Is that something you instill offseason in camp, or is that something that the chemistry of the team just – that's how they are. You know, I, I think we've talked about uh, how this game works to them uh, quite a bit as far as, you know, just simple things like it's always going to be a one-game season, no matter whether you win or lose. Uh, you got to come back the next week and try to win again. Um, you know, you've got to just try to win every rep uh, and give it everything you have. But realize that if you're going against good teams and good coaches, you know what, they're going to win some too. So you can't get down or lose your confidence when that happens. And you just got to hang in there and stick to it and hope that when the game's over, you've made one more play than they do. And I just think our guys have that mentality. They work really hard. They don't let things bother them. Uh, they play to the end. They've, for whatever reason, we're 5-0. and oh, We believed in that, and it's worked to this point. So I just think, uh, you know, that's how football is. You know, half the teams wins, half, half of them lose. So, you know, you, you can't get up too up and down when things are going well or bad. And our, our guys have really, you know, played hard and responded well to this point. How different is it to put together a roster now? You took over Purdue in 2017, old transfer rules, uh, different different scenario entirely. You take over Louisville this year. You get you know Jack Plummer, who had been a quarterback with you at Purdue, and then he'd gone to Cal. How, how different is it to put together a roster in terms of having maybe the personnel you want? Well, I think that's kind of what you're going to get nowadays in college football. Every year is going to is going to be different. And um, you know what? I think we handle it pretty well. You know, one thing we try to do, we try to treat all of our players right and do right by them. That doesn't mean we're not going to work hard and motivate them and push them. But you know what? If guys aren't playing or getting playing time and they want to transfer, we want to help them transfer, help them get somewhere else uh, and be honest with them. So I just think if you're honest with people, if you treat them right, if you bring the ones in and it's a wholly different roster, you know what? You got plenty of time to work with them. Spring practice, summer, fall camp. Uh, you should try to be able to get on the same page. Now, are there certain nuances that you know take a little time? Yes, but in general, you just got to treat your guys right, be honest with them, and and, and go full speed ahead. And under, they have to understand that we, hey, we've got to be able to do all these things. If we want to have a chance to win. How how quick could you hit the ground running with Jack because he he'd been in your offense before? Well, Jack was easy. That That's his strength. He's very smart and very intelligent. He picks things up fast. So, um, you know, getting him back here was an easy transition. <clears throat> He's been a great leader, plays really hard. If he has any fault, he probably cares too much. So sometimes he presses a little bit and forces things. But you know what? Uh, you know, he'll continue to, to play well for us and battle through a little adversity here and there. And he's battle tested. So I just think uh, he's a guy you can depend on that will give you everything he has. Um, it's not always going to be perfect, uh, but at the same time, he's going to play to the end, and uh, he's done a good job. Pressing something, you got to be careful when you're playing a defense like you did last week where it's either either drop eight or bring eight, it seems like. How, how did he handle that with, you know, they, the looks don't change, but who, who comes changes quite frequently. Well, without question, it affected him. Uh, they did a good job. They were able to bring the house and then drop eight into coverage. Uh, you know, looking back, I needed to do a better job to help protect him a little bit and not get him hit as much. So I was disappointed in myself because uh, I think anytime a quarterback's getting pressure and guys in his face, it's going to affect anybody. And it definitely affected him and caused him to make some a couple bad decisions that hurt us. But, uh, you know, I should have done a better job. We should have had a better plan together uh, uh, to counteract that. So I think moving forward, we got to make sure we're always, 
you know, have that in our pocket that if somebody's just going to really, really heat us up, you know, we've got to find ways to help our quarterback. We'll be right back, Louisville coach Jeff Brom. But first, let me tell you about bird dogs. These are the greatest shorts and pants that you could possibly own because they allow you to live your most efficient life. Behold, these are the fart Garfunkels right here. Beautiful shorts, great for the golf course, for the bar, for restaurant. But look at that. Oh, the liner right in there. You just put them on and go. You are going commando. And the rest of the world has no idea. And they move with you. And they feel like they were made just for you. Maximum comfort. Maximum efficiency. And it's not just shorts like this. Workout shorts like the Flying Wasps. These seersucker workout shorts. Also, they got pants with the built-in liner. So you can be in an office setting, in a professional work setting, feeling like you're going commando. Do you know what kind of tactical advantage that gives you over everybody else? You can just see it in your eye. I've got the Steven Jobs. That's the gray pair of pants. You got the Jeff Pesos, the khakis. When you show up in those things, you are ready to take on the world. And oh, by the way, Bird Dogs has also got something for your torso. They're doing polos now. This is the Fidel Bass Pro. It's a beauty. Go to birddogs.com. Use the promo code STAPLES and get a free hydroflask style bottle with your order. Load up, man. Shorts, pants, polos. Live an efficient life that allows you to walk into any room and be like, yeah, I'm going commando here. You may not know that, but I know it. Birddogs.com. Promo code STAPLES. Free hydroflask style bottle. You will live an efficient life. And you will have an advantage in every room you walk in with bird dogs. One thing I found really interesting about that, that NC State game, in the first half, you guys had two turnovers where your defense came out. The first one, they make them go three and out and punt. The second one is three and out and they kick a field goal. So they get three points out of at a couple balls that they got right at the 50 or in your territory. How critical is being able to, to stuff them on a, a quick change like that? Well, I thought it was our best uh, game on defense of the year. Um, you know, I think every week we've kind of adapted and changed some things and, um, you know, try to play a little bit more aggressive each and every week. And and I think we affected their quarterback. We were able to blitz and get after him, get in his face, uh, get in throwing lanes, not give up easy completions. Uh, so our defense really played well. They were stout. Uh, they came out in the second half and played even better. Uh, so it was good to see. I think in order to be a great football team, you know, playing great defense is, is, is very important. Running the football is very important. And then from there, if you can create some big plays in the passing game, that's a bonus. But, you know, great defense and running game is is something you got to you know be really good at if you want to be an elite football team. you got Notre Dame coming in. You're maybe the one ACC staff that's not like, hey, we've seen Sam Hartman three times already. What, is, what, what have you seen from, from them and, and what challenges did they present differently than what you've seen so far? Well, Notre Dame, you know, it's it's Monday. So, right, you know, it's Notre Dame's really good on video. Uh, you know, they play hard. Uh, they've got great talent at every position. Uh, they can run and hit and strike. They're sturdy. Uh, they play great defense. They haven't hardly given up much at all, uh, especially in the passing game. they got a really good running attack, big lineman, uh, good tight end, experienced quarterback. So that's a great formula right there. Uh, and I just think in order to beat Notre Dame, you have to win in all the small things. Uh as far as turnover battle and penalties and 
and, and uh, getting off the field on third down and, and converting third downs. All those things are vital uh, because this is an experienced team. They're well coached and they play hard and they're talented. So I just think, uh, you know, we're going to have to find a way to play more efficient for 60 minutes, um, you know, um, make them do some things that they're not as comfortable with. So if we can get a lead, it's very, it can be very beneficial, but getting the lead is going to be tough to do. So we're going to have our hands full, but we're looking forward to the challenge. So you, you actually got recruited by Notre Dame. You, you, when you're a good quarterback at a Catholic high school, is that just automatic that, that they're coming? Uh, what, what made you decide, okay, maybe not? Well, that is correct. Uh, going to Catholic high school, Notre Dame is, is always the school that everyone dreams about and all the history, tradition, great players that have come through here. Uh, to be quite honest with you, yes, I was offered by Notre Dame. Uh, that year, uh, they had Rick Meyer uh, committed, the number one recruit in the country. So I was at least smart enough to realize, you know what, it might not be good for me to go sit on the bench. Uh, I might need to go somewhere and play. So that kind of ruled that out uh, because they had such great talent coming in. But uh, always admired, uh, you know, the football played up at uh, South Bend. And uh, you know, they just done a great job. And I think this year they're they're off to a great start. Man, they're, they're very talented and well coached. Yeah, Rick may, Rick lived up to the recruiting hype, so I think you both both made the right, right. choice. So, Jeff, I got to ask as a as a former Honda Accord owner who who loved his two thousand one <laughs> Honda Accord that I put, I think I put forty nine thousand miles on in the first eleven months I had it. You had a two thousand. Do you still have the two thousand four Accord? Yes. Did it make the trip? Yeah. No, I got it right out in my parking lot right now. <laughs> and, and how's it running? Well, to be honest with you, it runs really, really good. Uh, and as you know, it gets great gas mileage. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, I've had it so long, the radio went out. So I have no radio in my car, which oh, is a little disappointing. But you know what? It's kind of caused me to say, you know, enjoy the scenery around me. And, <laughs> uh, you know, not that I'm supposed to, but get on the speakerphone and talk maybe as I'm driving. Uh, but uh, you know what? My, my son drives my truck. And uh, he's not about to switch me with the Honda, so I'm stuck with the Honda. You can't – I mean, you can big-time him if you want to, but – Well, I can, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, kids nowadays, they don't listen to their parents a whole lot. So no. uh, he he will fist fight me if I try to switch automobiles with him. So I, I have I have a 14-year-old who gets his learner's permit next year. What am I in for? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Well, trust me, uh, they get very stubborn as they, they get to their teenage years and beyond. Um, they want to get their way. Um, so if you need to put your foot down, I would start to put it put it down now because uh, it's going to be hard as they, as they gain age. Well, I'm a little worried after talking to you because he's been eyeballing my truck for a couple of years right now. And he's like, you could just get a new one. I was like, I don't want a new one. I like this one. <laughs> I'm like I'm like you with the with the automobile. When I get one I like, I don't want to give it up. So well, i got to figure out how to keep it. <laughs> If, if you let him ride it once or twice, you're not going to get it back. So I would be firm in, in making sure he doesn't get the keys to that truck. Well, we're going we're gonna to give you some recommendations. So this show comes out in podcast form. So, you know, you just have it on your, your, the speaker of your phone. You just leave it on the, the passenger seat. You can listen to us, even if your radio has gone out. I, I can't believe any part of that vehicle went out because I'm telling you, former Accord owner to, to, to current Accord owner, they're indestructible. I agree with you, man. Still, still going strong. So, how, how much fun has this been being back in your hometown? I know you're taking it one game at a time, but things are going very well. You know, I imagine as as well as you could imagine your first season.
but is it is it what you thought it would be being back? Well, it, it's been enjoyable to be back and to be around all the people that uh, you know or, or grew, grew up with or went to school with that are really good people that just want to see the program do well. And of course, when you're winning, it's it's a lot more fun. Uh, but you know what? I think uh, I've played and coached long enough now that you know I'm battle tested. Um, we've experienced things. You like to have some answers in your back pockets when things come up to help your team win. I think that's been beneficial for us. Uh, but I do think our schedule will continue to get tougher and tougher. We have some tough ball games ahead of us, and that'll kind of really test exactly where we're at. So we've got to make improvement. We've still got a long ways to go. Our guys work hard, so they give us everything they have. As coaches, we got to continue to push the envelope and, and make sure that we're ready to go uh, because, you know, well, we want to keep this thing going. And it's not easy to win every week. And like I said before, you know, unfortunately, half the teams win and lose. So you just yep. got to you got to figure out a bit, way to be one of those teams that wins every week. And, and, and it's not it's not easy. So it, it requires work and uh, time and effort. And, and, and you got to be really just sharp uh, as far as coaches and players in order to, to gain that little bit of edge to find a way to win. Well, the, the one game schedule gets very tough this week. So good luck. Appreciate it, coach. OK, thank you. Have a good day. Jeff Brom is a lover of quarterbacks and reliable automobiles. Big, big game between Louisville and Notre Dame. Cannot wait to watch that. But let's stay in the state of Kentucky because the other Power 5 team in the state is also undefeated. Kentucky having a great year, just beat Florida. They are headed to Athens, Georgia on Saturday to play against Georgia in the biggest game of the year for the Wildcats. They're going to try to knock off the defending national champs, Georgia has not been as dominant this year as it was the past two years. Are there weaknesses that Kentucky can exploit? Or is Kentucky too close to what Georgia is to be able to, to take advantage of that? Maybe Georgia is just accustomed to, to what they're seeing. But one thing the Georgia offensive linemen probably not accustomed to seeing, they play against some really good defensive linemen, but not many as unique as Deion Walker. He is... Six foot six. He's in the 330s. He can play anywhere on the line of scrimmage. He can play at nose. He can play at a shaded defensive tackle, shading on a guard. He can play on the edge. Well, this past weekend, defensive coordinator Brad White added yet another thing to Deion Walker's toolbox. Here's Deion Walker talking about all of the things that he can do. We welcome one of the largest players in college football, Deion Walker. 6'6", 350, drops back and covers receivers. Yeah, that's what he does. He he. You aided in an interception against Florida. Like, for your <laughs> first time covering a receiver, that's pretty good. Yes, sir. So how, yeah. do you, how do they bring that up to you? Like when they say, we're going to add this to your repertoire where, you know, you're good at rushing the passer, but – Maybe you cover somebody. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've always uh, been athletic, good with my hips, you know. Um, they say I'm the most least stiff uh, offensive or defensive lineman at, or in the building. Um, he really added it on Wednesday, Tuesday wow. or Wednesday, but he brought it to me, like, early in the morning. He like, would you feel comfortable? Of course I'm going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, growing up, I, I assume you've always been – one of the biggest people on the field. So they probably had you on the line the whole, like, did you ever play any linebacker or anything growing up where you might've gotten to cover anybody? 
No, I played a little bit of QB when I was like seven or eight. And then you outgrew that too? <laughs> yeah. So what's going through your mind on that play? Like when they single it in, you're like, okay, this is it. I'm doing it. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, it was just really, um, I was just, I just looked out to the boundary, see if there was two or three receivers. Cause that dictated what I had to do. Um, mm -hmm. They really just told me uh, drive for five, sit there and uh, get beat. <laughs> well, you don't have to get big. You're already big, but, <laughs> And and then he throws and and you are one of the triple coverage that that he threw into. Did mm -hmm. you think you were going to be able to come away with it once it started bouncing up in the air? Oh, uh, not really. I was just looking to kill him, you know. Uh, <laughs> like when I looked inside, seeing that he threw the ball to him, I seen the ball in the air. When I started running to him, I'm like, should I go for the ball or him? And then I seen uh, you know, Trevor Wallace can't start uh, running with me, so I'm like, I'm just gonna kill him. And then wherever the ball goes, it goes. So you can't take the lineman mentality out, even if even if you get a chance to cover somebody. Like all the DBs are like, I gotta get that pick. You're like, I gotta, I gotta make that tackle. Yeah, you know, I want to kill somebody 24-7. <laughs> so I, I imagine you know, usually when you're you have a chance to make a tackle, you've got one, two, possibly three people trying to block you. What's it? Was is that something else that, that goes through your mind? Like, okay, there's nobody here trying to block me. All I get to do is tackle this guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was a good it was, it felt good to finally, you know, be able to do something being untouched, you know. You are very vocally anti-double team. You are not <laughs> a fan of the double team. And I, I I understand your coaches have tried to explain to you that it's a sign of respect, but how mad do you get when there's when there's two dudes trying to block you? Um I really matured out of it. Uh, you know, I would, you know, the first couple games, of course, you're going to get frustrated because you want to go show everybody what you can do. But the coaches really told me, like, hey, if there's two people on you, one quarterback got the ball, that's eight on 11 or eight on 10. So, hey. It's good numbers. That's right. Yes, it's exactly yeah. right. It's a big advantage. So you're playing against Georgia this week. Obviously, some of the best offensive linemen in the country. How exciting is that for you to get a chance to show what you can do against them? Um, it's great to show what I can do, but really I want to see what our defense can do against the their top 10 passing team in the country. You know, uh, they all, you know, they're going ground and pound, you know, mm -hmm. and I just can't wait to see what our, uh, our um, front eight do and how we stack up against them guys. And you had you guys had a great game against Florida. Meanwhile, your offensive line was pushing them around. It, it, how much fun? Because you guys go against each other every day in practice. Like when you see them opening holes for Ray Davis, how excited does that make you? Uh, it doesn't make me excited at all. You know, because nine times out of ten they opening up the holes on me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you yeah, you've seen you've seen it in, in, in real time, but you can. You can speak to that. Like, how good is is Kentucky's offensive line that you that you have to see all the time? Um, they're they're pretty great. You know, um, we got a lot of vocal leaders on our offensive line, and I feel like that's a key that we were missing last year. Mm -hmm. you no, know, um, we had a bunch of great guys last year too. Uh, some went on to the league, but we had a lot of guys return. You know, um, Eli Cox, he's he's the known leader for sure. But you know, we got. Our left tackle, Marcus Cox, you know, he's been very vocal helping out Eli. Jagger Burden, you know, he got three years under his belt. He's playing as good as can be. You know, Jeremy Flax, 
uh, holding down that right tackles position. And, you know, they're all just clicking right now. So have you had to become one of those vocal leaders on defense as, as a sophomore? Uh, yeah, I say that I did just because, you know, I'm the biggest person out there. You know, everybody going to look at me no matter what we're doing. Um, and just me trying to be the anchor of our defense, you know. So you and you also do so much. And I, and I know it, as a freshman, you were you, they had you on the edge. They'd play you at, you know, three. They'd move, kind of move you around the line. Like how much more did you have to add? this year obviously dropping back but um but i mean what do you feel like you can play pretty much every position on the defensive line now uh yeah but i'm not gonna lie I get, i'm confident in my ability with uh anything i do you know yeah i even in high school i knew i could play i could play receiver if i wanted you know <laughs> <laughs> i want to see it <laughs> but no you know i coach white and coach stewart really did help me gain that confidence to think that I could play everything to learn how to play everything to learn how to position myself like getting off in the two-point stance I had to learn that but mm -hmm. you know it's just it was just for me playing around you know after practice going with outside backers you know just trying to be a sponge so to speak how comfortable are you when you play on the edge now because I remember seeing you out there as a freshman, and I'm trying to imagine what that offensive tackle's face looks like the first time he sees you coming off the edge. <laughs> you know, I like it, you know, not a lot of doubles, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a great time. But um, I'm getting more confident with it, you know. I'm learning how to actually get off and attack that line. Um, you know, a lot of uh, defensive line coaches talk about hitting that line. If he oversteps, go inside. If he um, undersets, then stay out. Yeah, I was gonna say that's not something you're thinking about when the guard and center both have their hands on you in pass pro. <laughs> I imagine you're just trying to find a way through. But it, it's, I mean, how exciting is it to know that that you can affect the game in so many ways? And and you know, I imagine it, it's it's got to be a challenge with for these offenses to try to figure out where you're going to be every play. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. And that goes back into um, seeing what our team could do. You know. Um, I can play the field in, I can play boundary in, I can play nose, three tech. I can play really anywhere on the defensive line. So just doing whatever I can to make the quarterback and the office, their offensive line confused and more afraid of me, you know, because that's going to end up helping my DBs, my linebackers fit their gaps. So have you talked to Coach Stoops about putting something in on the other side of the ball for you? Because I'm like – yeah, Alabama used Deron Payne as kind of a leak him out as a fullback, throw to him. They, they, they're all, there's always got that package where they bring you in as a fullback. But <laughs> with you, with your athleticism, it's got to be something where they throw it to you. Yeah, we had a play actually last year for our bowl game against Iowa. We just <laughs> didn't get to use it. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been – so it, now you probably can't reveal too much of it, but it would have put you in the end zone with the ball, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I was coming down with it. It was 100% my boy. Oh, you were a basketball player too, right? So you're, you're, you're used to the you're fighting for rebounds, jump balls, that whole that whole scenario. Yes, sir. So what what did basketball teach you and, and help you with when it came to football? Um, I say it just helped me a lot more with my quicker cuts, you know. Like, it probably doesn't look like it, but defensive linemen, they got to hurry up, cut, 
almost as much as wide receivers do. Yeah. But I feel like it really just helped me with my quicker cuts, um, side to side movements and my um, body control. And so how did you, how did you grow? Were you always tall and then got bigger or were you always big and then got taller? Um, I say I was always tall and then got bigger. I did, I was really like my freshman sophomore year, I was only like I was only like 260, 270. Only like yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> you know, I didn't really start really putting on the real weight until COVID happened. And it was it because I mean you moved so well at that size that was when you went to college, did you think they were going to try to make you lose weight or anything? Or did they just say, hey, look, we love the way you move. Don't change anything. Um, I mean, they always – Kentucky, uh, Coach Stewart, he always talks to me about losing that body fat, putting back on muscle. So I knew it was going to be have to be some work done. And and how was that? What was that that period like as a freshman? Um, It was good, I say. You know, it was a lot of, a lot of hard days. <laughs> what did what did you have to give up food wise? <laughs> uh, I'm a big sweets guy, so you know cupcakes, donuts. I had to give up all that ice cream. Ben and Jerry's favorite. What which Ben and Jerry's? What's what's your favorite flavor? Um, it was like the it was cookie dough with Oreo pieces in there. Oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So yeah, it's hard when you're a sweets guy because like the guys who love the savory, who like to eat steak and, and all that, like mm -hmm. you can keep eating that if you're as long as you're lifting and running. But like, yeah. there's no nutritionist you can talk into letting you eat donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> like that is that is tough. So when when did you start to feel like okay, this body transformation is really taking place? Um, I really didn't start feeling like it until I want to say this past spring. Mm -hmm. Like my first year, it was just learning how to keep my wind up with my weight. And this past spring, I really worked on getting my weight down, getting bigger, faster, stronger, and um, you know, learn how to play at this new weight. So what what do you weigh right now? Three thirty five. Throw three thirty. Okay, so six five three thirty five, and still feeling still feeling good and i would imagine that you can probably you feel like you can get more muscular more slim down probably keep that weight yeah, for sure <laughs> well i have to move you to linebacker then <laughs> I, this probably. is probably I mean, is it, does coach white just sit around imagining possibilities for you like <laughs> oh i could have him do this i could have him do this yeah, I think I, I'm not going to lie. I think he has a period every day to where he's like, what can we do? <laughs> like, what can we do to fool with him? You know? Do you bring him ideas too? I try to, yeah. <laughs> what's, really be what's the one where you're like, he's never going to do this, but I have to try? Um, <laughs> It's like a red zone, like 20-yard line, um, where I drop into a, a curl frat. Curl flat and take the seam up, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so like tight end coming up the seam or slot yeah. guy coming up the seam in the red zone, just run smack in the <laughs> I love it. Oh, listen, Dion. If 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 the foot if the playing thing doesn't work out, or or when you're done with the playing thing, you you may have a career as a defensive coordinator. 
yeah, hey, I'll make some great plays for sure. <laughs> well, you you got one now who lets you do all kinds of fun stuff. So, well, what is it now? Again, the ball went up in the air. You went after the the player instead of the ball. But what happens when you get that first pick? Have you have you imagined that in your mind? Um, I'm not going down for sure. Um, I don't <laughs> care if it's I don't care if it's 99 yards. I'm I'll walk 30 of them if need be. <laughs> But I'm not going down. I'll drag all 11 with me. I, I think you might be able to drag all 11. <laughs> you might be the one guy who can do it. I, I cannot wait to see this. Dion, cannot wait to see you play against Georgia. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. No problem. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cannot wait to see Deion Walker go up against that Georgia offensive line on Saturday. That's going to be one of the best matchups in the country this season. But... Now we move to a place where they're coming off a win. Fan base still not happy. They're favored again this week. Fan base still not happy. They might win their division. Fan base still not happy. It's Iowa. That's right. We're talking about the drive for 325. We're talking about new quarterback because Cade McNamara is going to be out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Deacon Hill takes over. No one better to talk about that than Tom Kaker, the publisher of Hawkeye Report. He talked to the Hawkeyes on Tuesday. He talked to Kirk Ferentz on Tuesday. And he will help us figure out what happens next with Iowa, with an offense that's still barely functional, but a team that should be favored in most of the rest of its games. Here's Tom. Joined now by Tom Caker, the publisher of Hawkeye Report. We're talking some Iowa football and bad news for Iowa this week. Cade McNamara, the starting quarterback, is going to be out for the rest of the season. If you watched the game against Michigan State, you saw the injury. It did not look good, and it looks like that'll that'll be it for him. So now on to Deacon Hill as the drive for 325 continues, Tom. And they're just not... They're, they're behind the pace and the schedule gets harder. It is. Uh, he's got to get to 26.75 per game the rest of the way to get to the 325 mark. But um, they got 26 last year. So he, he got into it a little bit more uh, than he, than he was sitting a, a week ago after getting shut out. But yeah, you're, you're missing Deacon Hill or, or you're missing uh, Cade McNamara now. So you're starting quarterback. You're also missing, um, Luke Lachey, their mm-hmm. uh, number one tight end, and who the, was the leading receiver for the Iowa Hawkeyes before he went down with a broken ankle. So, your two, maybe most two, two most important uh, offensive players are out, and um, Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and Patterson, their top two running backs, have been out. It sounds like Caleb might be back this week. We'll see. Uh, he is back at practice, uh, coming back from a high ankle. Uh, and uh, at one point in the second half, after uh, LeSean Williams uh, fumbled, 
they were to their fourth string running back, who's true freshman Kamari Moulton. So, well, the offense, you know, Iowa doesn't have a lot of offense to begin with. And uh, they were down to their second string quarterback, minus their best tight end and uh, their fourth string running back. So, I don't know what there is to do about that. The the thing Jesse Simonson and I talked about on Saturday night after watching Cooper Jean run that punt back to, to seal yeah. the win against Michigan State was, could they pull a Travis Hunter with him? You guys asked Cooper Jean about that on Tuesday. What did he say? Yeah, I asked him specifically about Travis Hunter. I said, do you, do you got any interest? Because you look back at that, at that um, Penn State game where Penn State ran 93 plays, and he's out there on the special teams plays too. So he was out there for over 100 snaps. So, you know, it's kind of natural. Um, you know, could you play 100 snaps in a game? And he already had done it. And uh, he didn't say no. Um, he kind of <laughs> smiled. I, I think he would love to try and do it. Uh, but it's got to be something that the, the coaches want to want to draw up. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to throw him back there in the wildcat a little bit, let him see what he can do. Um, maybe put him at receiver. He was um, he was a high school quarterback, as you might imagine, playing 1A football in the state of Iowa, where your uh, graduating class is probably about 50 kids, I think, for uh, uh, in Ida Grove, Iowa, a small town in northwest Iowa that um, – you know, he played quarterback. He he had some phenomenal games. I mean, the state title games where where he was the best player on defense. He made this miraculous play uh, as an offensive player to win a game and the state title. I mean, he's just he could do everything. So um, I'd love to see it. He did get in. He's been in for three snaps this year on offense, and all of them have been victory formation. He's the back guy on victory formation. I, I love that. So he his version of the yeah. offense is what like when they put the receiver yeah. at a deep safety for a Hail Mary play. Uh, but, yes. but yeah, I mean, he is the I, I'm not being dramatic. I don't think when I say of all the people on Iowa's roster, he's the most dynamic with the ball in his hands, which is weird because he plays on defense. Yeah, he is. He's he's a really um, dynamic with the and he's one of those guys. And we saw it last year where he returned three interceptions for touchdowns. He's the ball seems to, he's one of those ball seems to find that guy all the time uh, players. He had an interception in the game, uh, his first of the year against Michigan State, uh, caught that at the back of the end zone and made a really nice play to get his foot in to uh, uh, retain possession of the ball. So he's just, he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's going to be, potentially possibly maybe likely a first round draft pick after this year if he wants to go pro he'll he's um a true junior so he'll have a decision to make i think he's probably going to go uh but he's just he's really good i, I just don't see why he wouldn't um you know kind of pull the trigger on this and see what what he can do in you know small settings on on the offense i'm not at you know i don't think anybody's advocating for travis hunter kind of snaps where he's playing 127, 130 snaps, but you could throw him out there for, um, you know, a couple plays in a series every, you know, every quarter, every half. Uh, I think that would be interesting because they need more guys on offense who can make plays because the offense is still continuing to struggle. Uh, I was number 130 out of 130 in total offense in the country in D1 football right now. It was. So tell us about Deacon Hill, who takes yeah. over for Cade McNamara. He's, uh, 
he's bigger than your average quarterback. He's 6'3", 260. So he's built more like a linebacker. In fact, he told a story today. He's about bigger than how, most linebackers. Goodness, 260. Yes, he's, he's 260. He is, uh, um, yeah, some of the uh, Iowa fans want to call him Bacon uh, to, uh, for, for very much for an Iowa thing. They want to call him Bacon Hill. Um, but he's, uh, he's, he said uh, when he was in third grade, he got kicked out of playing football because he was too big. Mm. and uh he had to play against like sixth or seventh graders and he wasn't playing so he just had to go play flag football uh because he was so big but he's always had a big arm um we found out today his sister played on the 19 or, or 2016 uh u.s olympic water polo team that that won a gold medal and um you know he's he's of uh, polynesian descent so i've thrown out some thrown some owens things uh today uh, you know, the quarterback sneak is back for Iowa. So I had some sneaking with Deacon uh, thoughts for, you know, some other things. Well, I, I mean, the do. brother, the brotherly shove feels like it's right yeah. up Iowa's alley. So this is, it's, this is perfect. And he's, he's bigger maybe than some linemen, you know, uh, at service Academy linemen, he might be bigger than some of those guys, at least. Um, he's yeah, he's, he's a big dude, but he's got a big arm too. And I, I think one of the things they'll probably try and do uh, starting this week is maybe stretch the field a little bit with his arm because he's he's definitely got more powerful arm than um than Cade McNamara and you know he had like three or four drops last week and I, it's just because he was throwing some bullets at, at people from short range and he's got to work on the touch a little bit and it's maybe just a little amped up probably getting out there for the first time what the other interesting thing is he hadn't played since um the covid year and they only played he, he's from santa barbara uh so imagine the, the uh shock of a winter uh in wisconsin, <laughs> he, did go and, to wisconsin yeah, first. he went to wisconsin he, he told the story about coming back from the vegas bowl his freshman year and then going to madison in january because he went right to santa barbara after the bowl game and it, he said it was minus 15 degrees and he wore three pairs of sweatpants and a heavy coat the whole day even when he was like sitting inside because it was like it was so cold and and he's very well insulated too. That's a yes. I can yes. say that as someone yeah. who used to be six three two sixty. I know how that feels. So yes. it is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's fascinating. But and and also I wonder. You know those drops that he had. We has more reps with the first yeah. team offense. I wonder if that sort of calms down. Everybody kind of gets used to one another. And he's relaxed and he's more comfortable. It's natural for him to have been just wired beyond belief. The adrenaline is pumping. Uh, in the last game. And I think he'll be much more comfortable uh, going out there against Purdue. So Purdue is a winnable game, obviously. Yeah. I it, It's funny because for people who haven't watched Iowa, except for the Penn state game, you might think, Oh, this is a terrible season. It's going horribly, but they're four and one. Yeah. Could very well be five and one coming out of this week, going into a game in Madison that might decide the big 10 West ultimately. I mean, how do you kind of, I don't know. I don't even know what the word is, but rectify what was what Iowa is offensively with the opportunity they have in terms of what their record could be this season. They could, if they win the next two games, they're the odds on favorite to go to Indianapolis and face Ohio state, Michigan, or maybe they'd get Penn state again. Uh, and that's just, it's wild. Uh, but, that's the reality is if they go to Matt, if they win this week and then go to Madison, I mean, the schedule is not 
daunting. It's Minnesota and Illinois is not very good. They've got Rutgers coming to Iowa City. They go to Nebraska. And there's there's nothing in that schedule that says, boy, they're in trouble here. They're going to drop another game. Uh, so, and, and, you know, Wisconsin has not been overwhelming either. And you could see it. And, and every time uh, Iowa and Wisconsin play, it's usually just, you know, a street fight, a rock fight with just 16, 13. Although it might be different this year with Luke Fickle, we'll see. But the Paul Christ, Barry Alvarez, uh, Brett Bielema, Eras were or more of those those sloggy games, uh, ten to six or whatever. Um, so we'll we'll see, but it, it's conceivable that the team with the worst offense in all of college football is going to be in the driver's seat to go to Indianapolis and play for a Big Ten championship. Now I can see all the Iowa fans just putting their heads in their hands yes. when you say that because it's it's strange. Everybody knows the offense is bad. Everybody knows it's a problem. Yeah. But if you keep winning nine, 10 games, uh-huh. there's really no incentive to change it, is there? There is. There is no incentive to change it if you keep winning because, you know, the ultimate goal here is uh, for every coach that will tell you what would you rather have a pretty, you know, a pretty offense that scores a lot of points and puts up a lot of yards or a team that wins. You, you take the wins because wins get you contract extensions, big contracts, everything else. So um, for Kirk Ferentz, it's, you know, just business as usual. He's going to keep uh, trudging along, playing the the uh, what he calls complementary offense or complementary football, and uh, just the defense, good defense, there, there, good special teams, and below average offense. There is a. There's nothing you can say. Either definition of the word compliment, either spelling of the word compliment. Yeah, that, that you can use for that offense, but but I will say, you know, it, how much does the the way the Big Ten is changing change it's, that? Because it's not going to be the West anymore. Oregon, Washington, USC show up. That's the thing I've written about a lot is that uh, a few weeks ago, after the Penn State game, I wrote about it too that you just can't keep playing this way because the Big Ten is going to change. You you have this Big Ten West, which is like. Uh, you know, the, the island of misfit toys in a lot of ways with, uh, you know, so to to go back to, a, a, a you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer kind of reference. But it's just, it's these teams that all kind of play a similar style or they're just not all that good. There's no powerhouse in the, in the Big Ten West. And so you could get by playing this way. Next year, when there's no divisions in the Big Ten, you have to be able to do something different. You have to... You're going to have to, you're bringing in look at what Washington's doing. Look at what Oregon's doing. You know, USC is going to have a good offense with Lincoln Riley. You know that Chip Kelly is going to have a good offense. So you're bringing four more schools in that can put 30, 40 points on you. And you can't expect to um, play these rock fights every week and, and keep them in check. It's just not going to work. So um, I think it's an opportunity for Iowa to, to evolve offensively and for Kirk Ferentz to evolve offensively, but we'll see if he does that. So this contract for Brian Ferentz, yeah. the drive for 325, yeah. we've, we've made our jokes all off season. Yeah. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier, they're 14 points behind the pace to, to match yeah. what he needs for his contract to continue. Otherwise it terminates, but that was done by Gary Barta, the, the old AD. Yeah. Beth Getz is running the department right now. Yep. 
do they even have to honor that? Is is that even worth the paper it's written on at this point? Or if Iowa wins the Big Ten West, they go, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah, they're going to um, honor whatever it is. But what they'll do, it, what the contract doesn't say is that he's fired. It's just they could conceivably just drop a new contract, a different contract. All that contract was really in place for is if they've met those things, then he gets a two-year deal and some money back and a bonus and and all the, the other things. But um, they could conceivably come back and say, hey, we're going to bring you back on a one-year deal. And here's the here's the uh, here's the number you can take that or you can leave it and go from there but um it's going to be interesting because it, it got pretty ugly on Saturday they were chanting fire Brian in the student section uh, mm-hmm. during the game and it was audible and it was loud and friends who were watching on TV could hear it clear as clear as a bell so it is just it's gotten so toxic with that but I, my the thing I've always said is, I've been covering the, the Hawkeyes for, for over 20 years. They didn't like Ken O'Keefe. They didn't like Greg Davis. They don't <laughs> like Brian Ferentz. And they're all running Kirk Ferentz's offense. I was so, going to say, there's yeah. one one thing in common with all of those people. Yes. They're all running the same offense. My contention is that college offenses have just evolved now to the point where 15 years ago, you could get by running this kind of offense because there were a lot of them still around and everything. What you see today with today's offenses, and they're so sophisticated and and uh, and so good that you just you can't run this antiquated, um, you know, this is like driving driving an Etzel around kind of thing yeah. offense that you just you get by with it. But I think you got this is the opportunity with the Big Ten changing to modernize it, hire a young coordinator, or go out and change your entire offense and bring in some people who know how to how to run an offense like that. And, and completely go in a different direction. Now, will Kirk Ferentz do that? I don't know. I, you know, he's, it, it, it's hard to see, you know, he's 68. I, you don't see guys in their late 60s radically changing what they do. Well, another thing that, that I've always found somewhat confusing is everybody knows that quarterbacks have become more mobile over the yeah. years and, and, and running quarterbacks have become more mm-hmm. important uh, in high school, it used to be, you know, the running quarterbacks would go play other positions, but now that's who gets recruited to most big time college programs because you need to be mobile too. Yeah. With Iowa, you go back, you think of some of the best seasons, Brad Banks, you know, yep. CJ Beathard could run Beathard. Yep. pretty well. Like, yeah. why aren't they recruiting guys who can run? That's a good question. That's something that they've, uh, that's been brought up. They do have a kid coming in. The 2024 class, James Reeser, who's who's you know like a 10-400 guy, so he's um, you know he can he can run a little bit, uh, but generally they have it. I mean, Cape McNamara is not really a running quarterback at all, and he's been hampered uh, uh, all year with the quad thing uh, before he uh, tore his ACL. So um, they're you know. The backup. I mean, Deacon Hill's big guy. He's more like a linebacker. He's fairly mobile, though. Um, I was impressed with his mobility and his pocket awareness. Uh, but Marco Lainez, the guy coming, uh, who's the true freshman, he's not all that mobile. Joe, Joey Labus, who started the the bowl game last year, he's fairly mobile. He can he can get around a little bit, and he's got some toughness. But they don't have anybody 
like a, a Brad Banks or even a Bether. Now I want to imagine Deacon Hill is like, remember John Clay at Wisconsin? Yeah. Just a massive running back, just bowling yes. ball. Like yes. this, I, I'm, I'm thinking the wheels are turning. I, I don't know if Kirk or Brian want any suggestions, but listen, let, let this dude hey. cook. Hey, all the all I know is that there's some NIL deals waiting for Deacon Hill. There's got to be some some pizza joint that's got a yeah. deep dish pizza kind of thing that's just got to get him get him on board, right? I mean, oh. this, that's what you think about now. You got to get your NIL deals, especially if the fan base is calling him Bacon Hill. There's a lot of well, and and we we already saw the Iowa pork producers make a pork great producers. ad with the Iowa yeah. State players. Uh, yes, you know, awesome ad. Purchase more ham and bacon. Uh, it, Let's get Deacon Hill involved in that, so you have an Iowa State and an Iowa angle for a very important, you know, part of the local economy. Absolutely, yeah, there's nothing better than than pork in the state of Iowa. So let's get some bacon in there. Love bacon it. Hill, Tom Caker, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Andy. That's Tom Caker talking all things Hawkeyes. You can find him at Hawkeye Report. That is one of the on three team sites if you're an iowa fan if you're not already a member what are you waiting for join up now my extra point today we're going to piggyback off what tom said and i realize piggyback is probably the the right choice of words here we were just talking about the iowa pork producers need to immediately sign deacon hill to an nil deal Six three two sixty playing quarterback i am here for that i am here for every beefy quarterback we love the late Jared Lorenzen. We love it when there's a guy of larger carriage who's playing QB. And with Iowa, you know, maybe they can use this. Maybe the brotherly shove becomes their best offensive play. We talked about that with Tom, but I, you see it in the NFL with, with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. You saw some other teams try. It didn't go so well. Perhaps you need a quarterback who can deadlift 600 pounds to make it work, or you need a quarterback who weighs more than all the linebackers to make it work. So Deacon Hill, I'm telling you right now, I want to see the all quarterback sneak offense. If nothing else works, Iowa, just do it. Just get behind Deacon Hill and start pushing. You might gain more yards than you have been. That's the show for today. Thank you so much. It's a pick show tomorrow. Jeff Schwartz, former Oregon offensive lineman, longtime NFL offensive lineman, will join us to help make the picks for a week that it's not going to be easy to pick, but man, these games are intriguing. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.